Rollin, how long was it, and be honest, until you figured out Isle of Dogs is a play on word for I love dogs? Uh, it was until just now when you told me that. <laughs> yeah, because for <laughs> me, it was about five days ago. I saw something that said Isle of Dogs is a play on words, like when I was Googling, and I, I just didn't click on it. I was like, I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't slow it down and think, wait, I love dogs. So. No. I, All right. Okay. Uh, now, I, my mind is blown. You just blew my mind. I don't even know where we're going to go now. Well, you can't go much further than that. It really is mind-blowing uh, in its simplicity. So that is a pretty good takeoff for talking about Wes Anderson's film, Isle of Dogs, because if it's anything— I can't hear it any other way now. That's just, if it's anything, it's clever, right? Yes. And, and I think this film uh, is— is that in motion what's your favorite before this uh, this isn't my favorite Wes Anderson film it's not yours but out of curiosity what's your favorite Wes Anderson film what's the gold standard for you uh, for me it, it was my first uh, it, the Royal Tenenbaums is my favorite now I don't I haven't seen it in a while I'm not sure the rewatchability of that one I, I would think it would be good were you with us in college when we went and saw that? I know Absolutely. Uh, Christy I, Novak was there. We were all – we went to the Jackson Theater uh, and we I, I saw I think that. I was. But you know my memory, Spies. You know my memory. Yeah. And it's often faulty. Uh, but I believe I was there with you. And I think we watched Bottle Rocket after that, right? No. Yeah, I remember going back to the dorm and watching Bottle Rocket, which – I think that's what happened. Is is one of the great, what, basically a student film. It, it right. was great. And obviously, it launched everything that we have today for that. It was – Man, really good. Yeah, but and I, I I don't know if I watched it in that night, but I do remember two things about Royal Tenenbaums being shocked to be in the same room with all my college friends and some of some of them were girls and seeing Gwyneth Paltrow topless. We didn't have a habit of watching a lot of nudity in film. No, uh, back in when, when did Awkward. Royal Tenenbaums come out? Two thousand. Yeah, let me look. I, I do remember that. 2001. I, I do remember us all being in Jackson, and I remember it just being pretty much unlike any film I'd ever seen. Yeah, it was it was weird, and everyone was wearing weird clothes, and there was some inside joke that you were just like always on the edge of, and you just didn't, you know, when it's your first Wes Anderson film, you're just like, this is weird, but I think it's also cool. Oh, no question. For me, the gold standard uh, is Moonrise Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And it's a really interesting dynamic because a lot of people were coming into Wes Anderson that are fans of his now. He has a wider base, uh, fan base now. A lot of folks like us that watch Royal Tenenbaums, watch Rushmore, watch Bottle Rocket, a lot of people uh, sort of, there's a descent of those. Like, it's not that we don't like him anymore. We liked him for a long time. And then there's a lot of folks that they really know him from Fantastic Mr. Fox and Moonrise Kingdom forward, right? Which is really right. interesting. But for me, that being said, I don't know if it's that it's a children's movie. The Innocence of That and Fantastic Mr. Fox, those are my two favorites. Fantastic Mr. Fox is based on someone else's work, which I think helped him be a little more circular about it. Um, there's none of these I, that I dislike, I'll say that. But I just felt like there was a certain heart and polish to those two. The, those are the gold standards uh, for me. Yeah, that, they were both great movies. I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. I wish my kids liked it more because uh, I love watching it with them. But as you know, Wes Anderson films are paced a little bit slower right, than, than your normal cartoon for kids. 
And yeah, so, I think if I were 12 years old, I think it would. Uh, it, it may not have gone right over my head. And, I, and much, there's not much that goes over your children's head, even at a young age. But you talk about the pace of it and, and sort of how you mentioned being confused by rolling tennis bombs. You knew you liked it, but uh, that you knew you didn't quite get all of it. Right. Uh, there's I'll something tell you, more going on. And there is, uh, like a lot of things, um, not usually film, though. And, you know, in our culture, when we come through, films were made to be, you know, peeled and eaten like a banana. They're, they're just immediately consumed, right? Right. Uh, the Wes Anderson film isn't necessarily like that. For instance, the first time I saw Rushmore with you guys in the college dorm, I, I, I didn't pretend to like it, but I did pretend to understand it and to not be, you know, bored halfway through it. You know, I watched it five years ago in my early 30s, and... You know, I could, I, I just got a lot more of the subtext of Schwartzman's, you know, angst of having a, a, a lack of a true father figure and, and, and all that and, and all sort of the, the really confusing dynamic that was unsaid between, you know, Murray and Schwartzman. And it was just sort of profound, really. And uh, you could go down the, the list. Um, um, Life Aquatic is not meant to be thoroughly enjoyed and laughed at it. It's he and Noah Baumbach's sort of ode to something. I don't think it's meant to to be a movie that you want to watch more than a few times. So, And, and you go down the list there. It's pretty interesting. So I, I think when Abby Grace or one of your other daughters watches this at 25, <laughs> even Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think it'll be a yeah. different experience. Well, when we watched that in the dorm, I just remember Jason Schwartzman um, and loving that movie because Justin – one of our good friends, JT Shenanigans, told me that he was the drummer of like my favorite band at the time, Phantom Planet. Right. And I was like, this guy's a drummer and he gets to be in movies? That's not fair. But I love it. <laughs> so I, I like, you know, I, I, I loved it from that point just because that was the guy in the band I loved. And then, you know, it, it was just from then on, I just was like, Wes Anderson's, you know, I'm going to watch his movies. They're good. So Wes Anderson made this movie because he he loves dogs and uh, he wanted to do another stop animation because fantastic mr fox was so successful and i think this guy wants to challenge himself this is a feat of filmmaking just because of the uh tens of thousands of hours that went into uh, oh, yeah. making these puppets and uh and all their movement it's it's just a brilliant story in a time where things are automated uh from an animation standpoint he just uh, this is uh this is quite a feat for him and everybody that was involved uh with this uh it's impressive and i there are some meanings here obviously this is probably his most political movie but uh, i think a lot of that is 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 sort of subdued or not particularly complex i think he wanted to make a movie like he makes with the same themes and i think he wanted to make it about dogs because he loved dogs and and uh i i don't know i i didn't read a ton into this uh what, what about you no i had to stretch to kind of find some themes that were political you know you, obviously maybe you could tie immigration into this a little bit because dogs no, you thrown can, out, yeah. you know but i don't think it was overtly political i think i think he loves dogs and you could tell it from this movie like these dogs are there's not a bad dog in this movie right there's not like an evil dog in this movie the, no only complicated dogs uh, right chief chief bites right yeah and so, that, you know, that's why I went, why does chief bite that's that was chief bites questions. for for redemption uh, and I think a lot of the political stuff you can read into 
But and there is a lot of political allegory here, but it doesn't go super deep, and I don't think it's personal per se. I think a lot of it pushes the story along, and it's the same reason Chief bites. Chief bites so he can come across someone that he cares enough about him that he can reciprocate and let his guard down. So, for instance, mm-hmm. he tells Chief, um, who's voiced by Brian Cranston, uh, obviously Wes Anderson's at a point where he could ask anybody to be a voice in his films or be in his films, and they're going to say yes. I mean, just think about Clooney and, uh, uh, you know, he's had just anybody that he's wanted, right? Right. And uh, Cranston is that guy. Cranston, uh, it's weird to brag about some of it was just a voice, but the guy absolutely just hits it out of the park here. Well, as chief, he tells this story about how he had, you know, a master for a while. He had an owner, per se, and he tells a story where he inexplicably bites a child's hand who was no threat to him, and he knew it. So there was something deep within him that he couldn't really control or resolve. He doesn't like to be pet. He bites. He says that. It doesn't make him evil. It makes him complicated. So mm-hmm. when uh, Atari, and we'll talk about that name uh, and the significance of that later, of course, when Atari washes him, cleans him, they had they did not have a very close relationship before then, Rowan, but... After that, and he, he gets that respect and that love from this human, what does Atari do right after that? He pets him without a bite. So I think he bites so the story can show, show that if you're loved and cared about, any sort of complexity you have, any sort of guard you have up can be reconciled. Did, did you sort of go there in your mind with that? That's beautiful. And I think you're right on. I think... With even if you just take it literally, you know, with an animal, you they they understand love and respect from humans. I saw a article the other day that said that dogs will let me get this right. Dogs can understand if you are kind to another human or not, and they will react accordingly. So right. so if someone needs money and you say no, I'm not going to give them that money, and the dog sees you do that. Uh, it it's I don't know how they tell, but it's got got less respect for you, man. That's really I don't interesting. Know. All right. So the I think he is trying to say something about dogs and maybe about humans because these dogs act more like humans than they do dogs. There are a lot of if I if I think that the political stuff is really there to just push the story along. A lot of the dog stuff is there for humor, uh, right? And it, and and he does it masterfully like he does but yeah. for me if like in the prologue dogs were around and they were important and then they weren't and now they're again and now they're not but the dogs never stop being loyal to humans when they get uh trashed literally and one owner one human is the only one that tries to come back for his dog when he's there they show the boy who they know as a child deference and so I think he is saying something about the resilience uh, of character and the loyalty and love of a dog. Yeah, the, the only thing about that that I thought was maybe, or maybe I disagree with, that at the very beginning, right, the, the dogs were free and they weren't loyal to anyone and they were they kind of did their own thing and they ruled the land and then uh, the cats came in and there was a battle and the dogs all almost killed and then the boy saved him right which is 
symmetry in the movie because that happens later. Right. So that 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 would be the point that they became loyal. Right. They and then they then they became to, loyal, to which kind of right. seemed like like subservient right. or something. Like they 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 fell or something, and now they're but they're still there. Like that's where they want to be. So I'm gonna try. I don't know if he's trying to say something with that or not, but. Um, yeah, I, I think he's trying to say that humans are the one ones on an individual level that can or can't be kind to dogs, and dogs always sort of react, and they're they're always the ones that that are willing to to reconcile. Uh, so okay. when the opposing party politician, the doctor, is an iconic line when he says, "Whatever happened to man's best friend?" I think that sort of is explaining everything we're trying to, to right. talk about now. Yeah, like what what happened to them being our best friend? We're just gonna throw them on a trash island. Do you think his use of the same actors all the time is that an asset to him, or does that does that limit him in some ways? I think I think it does both. I mean, I, I, like you said, he could pick anyone he wants, and he does sometimes. He reaches out and grabs different people, and they stay with him for a couple movies or more, and some people stay with them longer and, and uh, uh, if I didn't like all those actors so much I'd probably uh, say it was a detriment but man I, I love them all <laughs> in movies it's with true. Wes Anderson and not with Wes Anderson I could it's watch true. these guys all day long so I Bill think he's my literally my all time favorite actor oh, he's amazing he's everyone loves Bill Murray I think everyone loves surely everyone loves Bill Murray right it's that yeah, too much I of a generalization so. surely it's not everyone everyone does the interesting thing Rowan, is uh, bill murray is the perfect guy too a lot of folks that are recurring in filmmakers work have to have a certain length of role or certain importance of role i would say bill murray's has 10 or 12 lines in this film and so i think that is what makes it work for me and i think what makes it an asset is these guys that uh, that sort of have top billing in whatever they do, they're willing to come in and work for this guy, and it's it might be brilliant. So he doesn't have to uh, make a character bigger or uh, uh, have a, a larger role just because somebody's playing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, for instance, Bill Murray. Or Jeff Goldblum really sir, is there to be the gossip dog, and he serves yeah. an important comic relief in the story. And Norton, and these are guys that when you see them in something else, you know they they sort of star in a film. So uh, that's what makes it work is these guys are willing to work at them, and, and they take whatever scale they get, and it's just it's just awesome. Yeah, and it's it makes it so much easier when it's animated, right? Because right. Oh, you yeah. could do it from anywhere. You, you, no one can say no to an animated film. Is that it's on your own time, basically. You know, you you record something, send it in, and that's it, right? I uh, I think a lot of them came in the studio. I think I read where uh, Goldblum did his lines over the phone or something. So some of them do. That's uh, what I'm saying. Yeah, some of them. Yeah. Some of them do that. Uh, uh, I've seen you know behind the scenes stuff with people in in studios doing that. But still, it, you gotta you gotta imagine that it's a much easier pace as far as a working pace. Um, no makeup, you know, all that stuff that you normally get in a movie that takes hours before you can even start not there so it's got to be an easy yes to say yes to a movie like this that's an animation movie especially with the director and the script that they had right speaking of that a lot of directors that that are so successful in filmmakers they sort of get license to do whatever they want it's not like anybody's going to edit this guy's film there's nobody at a um at a distribution house that's going to be like no you can't do that anymore so a lot of these guys you see sort of just they get these little ticks 
uh, that you see throughout films, and I, I think it limits them at some point. This I don't see that as much with him. I think he wants to have a lot of uh, recurring things that you see in film. Right. But, like, for instance, you watch Tarantino. Like, Tarantino is so gratuitous in so many ways, and he likes to put little stuff in it, and it annoys me. And maybe <laughs> it's because I don't like extremely violent uh, film and things like that. I don't like gratuitous violence and sexuality. Yeah. It rings of, like, an immaturity. You don't, So you don't really deal with that. With it, with Wes Anderson, he has our sensibility, right? Uh, he is a nerdy kid from a Texas suburb who grew up idolizing pop pop culture and so when we see japan and i don't know some people I, I think a lot of that was made but are critical about his depiction of japan well his japan is much like his new york in royal tenenbaums it is what he saw as a kid yeah it's through that lens it's like because that isn't real New York, and this isn't real Japan. This is from him. I mean, the kid's name is Atari, Rowan. Obviously, this is an homage not to Japanese culture, to pe- Japanese pop culture through the lens of a kid from a southern suburb in the 70s and 80s. That, that's my take on it. So I really wasn't that offended because I think he's pretty open about that if you look at, you know, so many things about the film. Yeah, I... He had, a, he had a couple of inspirations that he cited in interviews, uh, which I want to talk about in a minute. Uh, one of them, though, Akira Kurosawa. So right. this but, guy, but even then, it's a filmmaker. It's right. not like no, no. Well, from the five years that he spent over there or his Japanese wife or something. It's like it's all through pop culture, right? Right, but what I'm saying is that the, the way it, – it's more than just like what the film's about, but how it's filmed. Like the scenes and how, how the scenes are set up, where the characters are. Um, it, there, there's – you talked about that annoying thing uh, that some directors have. Once you see this, I don't know if you if you will think it's annoying. I, I think it's cool, but I'm, it might become annoying after if, if I watch enough Wes Anderson. If you draw a line down the middle of the screen, yeah, it, it is. He does every, it all the time, and it, yeah. every and shot. Once is you do that, you can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. There's yeah. a whole video I saw on yeah. YouTube with the line yeah. down the middle, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is yeah. all so symmetric. And I love the symmetry. Uh, being a scientist and someone who loves to do analysis of uh, <laughs> of numbers and things, symmetry is great. Makes everything easy. In a movie, it, it it's really cool, but I think it it could be limiting if that's your if that's your only thing and people pick up on it. And they're like, oh yeah, another symmetric. Scene yeah, I wouldn't from recommend Wes anybody do that because you can't unsee it. No, you that. can't. Really I wish OCD. I hadn't seen it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's amazing. I mean, it, it's it's meticulous. Yeah, it's a feat in itself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you, you know, it's hard to do that, and that's something Kurosawa did in his films. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily symmetry like Wes Anderson is doing, but he would set up his scenes in a way that is just brilliant. He would he would have whole movies with uh, that were focused on different types of shapes, like squares and triangles. I don't have a reference for this, but it was you know you go. Watch some YouTube videos, guys, and you'll see, uh, guys and girls, you'll see uh, how brilliant Akira Kurosawa was. He did movies like Seven Samurai, uh, yeah, which, most which there's a lot of, heard of homages to that throughout yeah. the film. Um, the other inspiration that he had, and this is one I really want to talk about because it's, it's probably one of my favorite directors of all time, uh, Hayao Miyazaki. And I may be saying his first name wrong. H A Y A O Miyazaki. This guy makes beautiful cartoons. Um, they're slow paced. 
just like Wes Anderson films. So Wes Anderson, you know, in the pacing of this movie that he said was partially inspired by Miyazaki, uh, he got it. I think he nailed it uh, with with how the Miyazaki films are paced. But they're more meant for children. So I see Isle of Dogs as a movie that children can probably watch. Uh, it does have a few, some language it's in it. PG-13, yeah. uh, it's PG-13. Uh, it's PG-13. Probably, maybe my oldest daughter, I'd let her watch it, maybe. Um, Miyazaki, you can you can give to any kid. He's got some stuff that gets a little bit scary uh, for the younger kids, but um, his cartoons are beautiful, and they're, they are slow-paced. Um, he takes time to show you a scene and let the scene unfold and and show you images of of his characters just not necessarily moving the plot along just doing things that are fun or cool that uh in american culture we're not used to just those those kind of scenes that that we would say drag out Um, i think it's great i think it's good to slow down sometimes when you're watching a movie and just enjoy what you're seeing and not not have to know what the next point in the plot is. Uh, That's the way I think to best enjoy this film is yes. this film, the highlight is the details, is the little things that they say, the uh, camaraderie between the dogs. So you can't be you know, looking for that payoff all the time on this film. It, it is... Uh, it has got less of that than even like Fantastic Mr. Fox would. Yeah. Uh, if you want the plot to drive everything and you want to, don't. Don't be over analytical. This is a cartoon. And I think this is meant not to have a lot of allegory or metaphor. I think it's just meant to be enjoyed. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't overthink this a lot. It is enjoyable. Just the, just the feat that it is. Uh, and just, uh, I mean, it's about dogs and it's just, it's just really fun. Uh, this I isn't say, his greatest work, but this is uh, this is maybe one of his most ambitious, and, and yeah. it's, oh, uh, man. It's, it's pleasing. One more thing. If you're going into this movie like I was, and you saw that Miyazaki was one of his influences, um, and you love Miyazaki, th- there is one, I don't, know if, I don't know if I'd call it disappointing, but they're just fundamentally different filmmakers. I don't know how to say this. Uh, Wes Anderson does this thing where his characters have this dialogue that is directed at another character but it's really meant for the audience in in a way all dialogue in movies is like that right it's yeah. it's obviously meant for the audience but yes yeah, like they wouldn't actually say that to each other right so usually uh, and that drives me crazy usually yeah, yeah so dialogue it, it's in this case the dialogue is meant purely for the audience so for example jeff goldblum's character the gossip dog i can't remember uh yeah. duke okay duke he's yeah. a gossiper each time that he gossips to the group. He shares some information the audience already yeah. knows. And but it does I think nothing. that whole gossip thing was the perfect vehicle for that, though. I, yes. I do think no, that no. was perfect. It's great. I'm, and this isn't, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But it's a sarcastic or ironic. I'm not, I'm not sure what the word is for this. I, I try to look it up. I try to Google it. There's, you know, there's, they have all these terms for uh, alliterations and irony and theater terms type terms right or, or terms you'd use to describe uh, any literature and I, I couldn't figure out how what it's called when you indirectly speak to the audience so you say something to another character but it's really not meant for them at all it doesn't drive the story it doesn't change the plot it's really meant for the audience to hear and think oh that's that's funny um, and aside is kind of like that but it's it's to the audience not to the other character 
So this is this this is something I, you know, I, I'm still looking for. If you know what it is, send us a note. Let us know what there that's called, because um, I want to know. So that's something. So so I'm comparing this to Miyazaki, right? So Wes Anderson does that, and he has this kind of sarcastic, we're in on the joke type thing. Uh, Miyazaki could not be more different than that. His characters are so genuine, and his Miyazaki's characters are so genuine and sincere. They, there is no sarcasm whatsoever. Even the sarcastic characters or characters that say sarcastic things are doing it like in a super genuine way to the other other characters. And there's nothing that's like that I've seen in one of his movies that's just meant for the audience and not for another character. And I love that about. Miyazaki. It's almost a, a naive kind of way, um, but his characters are just so wonderfully, magically built in this universe where they're just we're just kind of watching what's going on. And it's and Wes Anderson. Um, if if that's what you're looking for in this film, that's not what it is. Wes Anderson is this hilariously sarcastic kind of um, in on the joke director that that does that better than anyone else i think and so it's not that one's better than the other but if you're expecting a miyazaki movie this is not a miyazaki movie that's Ron, the end of my essay this film was nominated for two academy awards best animated feature and score it lost both it lost animated feature to the spider-man cartoon which i didn't see Ron, did you see that last year I saw the Spider-Man movie. Nathan, you got to see the Spider-Man movie. Apparently, I read up on it. It's apparently terrific. It is. It is great, and it it really stinks that they were they were made in the same year because I think any other year Wes Anderson wins this hands down. But that Spider-Man movie was good. We got to review that sometime. It was a great okay. movie. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not surprised, but it 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 is sad because I know uh, they had to have spent ten times more time making this movie than than making that spider-man movie um it just worked though so i I don't know it would have been a hard decision it's only been 15 years and i know that that sort of thing does happen but i i'm still since it's only 15 years old happy that they just have an animated feature oscar now so at least one of them got the the credit they deserve if you say that second one was terrific Wes yeah. Anderson's next work is uh, going to be a film called The French Dispatch. It's a post-World War II uh, based in France. I, I know he spends, I think he lives there now, uh, mm-hmm. Wes Anderson. So uh, that's going to be, it's going to be kind of a, a chip off the old block, kind of back to uh, some of the, kind of the way he's been going. I think he's gotten further into his own style uh, lately, and I think that's been a good thing. Um, uh, and uh, I just look for more of the same. Uh, from him and just ca- kind of keep kind of discovering uh, you know new stories and and, and and who he is but it's gonna have a lot of the same folks and uh, from a from a production and writing and, and acting standpoint so I'm really excited for that I think we should see that I think sometime yeah. later this year have you have you heard anything about French dispatch I haven't I've just seen that he's making it uh, and that's pretty much it I mean I, I any Wes Anderson movie I'm excited about. I still have Wes Anderson movies to watch that I haven't seen yet, so you know I've got a backlog I gotta I gotta finish, but you know that won't, that won't stop me from seeing one that's out in the theater when I can. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Spice. Okay. If you not a question, I I have I want to tell you to do something. Recommend this movie to one person that you know and tell me why. Someone that I know hasn't already. Yeah, seen someone it. that hasn't seen it, recommend it to them. Say. 
I want you to see this movie, and this is why you're going to love it. Okay, so I would rec- I, I immediately start thinking about like a, maybe an adolescent or teenage kid that kind of is like you and I were growing up. It, we really didn't have a lot of exposure to you know art house type stuff or unique stuff, but when we saw it, we liked it. So you know, my friend uh, Luke, uh, he's 15 years old. Um, yeah. He's our friend Meredith's son. Yeah. I say, Luke, this movie. A problem with a lot of movies now is they're too long. This movie, because of the ambitious nature of it, how long it took them to do every scene, this movie is not too long. Most movies suffer with an extra 50, an extra 15 minutes, especially like we were talking about earlier, where filmmakers, the more successful they get, the more license they have to do whatever they want. So yeah. uh, I would say here's a movie that is easy to consume because it's not long and it's a cartoon. And um, I recommend this movie because there's a lot of heart to this movie. And this is not a movie that you have to take on a lot to enjoy. And you know what? Everybody loves dogs. And if they don't like dogs, it's because they're allergic to them or they don't like to particularly be around them. But to watch these humanized dogs, it's just easy on the eyes and easy on the mind. And there's a lot of really funny asides, as you were mentioning, and a lot of funny jokes. So I... I, I I would recommend this to a younger person, and I would say, hey, it's just a it's a really fun hour and a half. I love that. What about you? No, I love that. I I we could have been so much cooler as kids if we had a friend like you to recommend movies like this to us. I know yeah. I would have been. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I didn't have a lot growing up. Uh, I grew up in a terrific town of you know about four thousand people, Hoenwall, Tennessee, <laughs> and but you know Did what? Did you have a movie theater? Well, no, to this day we don't. But uh, I will say it just made it that more special when I, when I discovered this whole other world. And I would in small spots. I mean, there were good films that were in mainstream in the 90s. Uh, they just were kind of few and far between. And, yeah. and there were enough of those to know. And when I visit our my friends like you in summer camp, at Christian summer camp, we would uh, we did talk about what few things we we did see that were unique, and I realized if it wasn't for that experience of going outside of my community, I, I, w- I wouldn't have thought there was anybody else like me or not too many people. So uh, I wouldn't have it any other way because uh, you you just get this avalanche when you go to college of all this stuff you didn't know existed. And then we have a friend like our friend uh, Justin Tyler where they, they just opened this whole other – it was like Narnia to us uh, intellectually and, and culturally, and yeah. that, that made it fun. I didn't feel like I was missing out. I just made it fun to discover. Yeah, Justin and I were friends in high school, actually, since uh, 11th grade. And I I remember going to his house and watching all these weird movies and being weirded out by some of them. And he just loved it. And you you, you can imagine, like, 16, 17-year-old Justin uh, watching this kind of stuff. And then me, uh, they were like, "What, what is wrong with you? Like, what? Now you and you, know, you and Justin went to a public high school that that required the wearing of a of a tie each day to school. That's right. So I think if you want to explain Justin Tyler, the easiest way to explain it is to explain the two ties through th- four years of high school. He didn't get any extra ties. He wore, from my understanding, two. the same two ties every other day. What were those two ties? Uh, one of them was dogs playing poker tie. I don't know what the other one was. What was it? The thinker. 
The th- oh yes, <laughs> which I try to imagine <laughs> that as a tie. Uh, okay, so this podcast we're gonna we're gonna refer a lot to Justin Tyler. He was our gateway to good movies, popular culture, and pop and, culture, and film, and, and indie music. Uh, music. And uh, we're we're gonna have him on probably on our next one, hopefully. And uh, so the, it, it's a pretty good segue to that. Ryan, we gotta get running, but thanks everybody that listened. Uh, you may discover this. Uh, you know, it's our first episode after this becomes really popular, and we figure out what we're doing. But we want to we want to hear people like us discuss things that that we liked. So uh, there it is, Rylan. Yeah, I, I this has been very enjoyable, Spice, and we're just getting started. So um, I'm excited about where this is going to go. We're going to have fun. All right, we'll talk to you soon. All right, see you guys. <laughs>